You're listening to a Whales or Whales production. You're also listening to Whales. Visit whalesorwhales.com for more projects and shows like this one. Everybody, welcome to Harthaholics. This is part two of our beginner's guide, and today we are going to be focusing on deck archetypes. I am your host Brian, and joining me today is Andres. Hello, Andres. How you doing? Hey, Brian. I'm doing pretty, pretty good. Coming out of a little cold, but I'm feeling <laughs> good this morning. I'm well rested. I'm good to yeah, go. I'm amazed that this episode is actually being recorded. It it had a rough history. Um, we're <laughs> recording later than we intended. Andres had a cold. Then you decided to take Alka Seltzer, and we're out cold for like 12 hours. Listen, and I then just woke up in a, a word of advice to all of our listeners: <laughs> if you guys have something to do your next day, do not. I repeat, do not drink Alka Seltzer cold nighttime because you will be knocked out for the next like 12 hours. Yeah, that is actually more valuable than any advice we're going to give you about Hearthstone on this episode. <laughs> yeah, this is life advice. So if you free. leave with if you leave with anything, leave with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, for people who missed our last episode and are used to the usual Hearthholics uh, format, we are doing a new format where we do a strategy workshop each week and really delve in depth on a strategic topic rather than covering like recent news or meta reports um, or what we've been up to in the game recently. And this week is part two of our Beginner's Guide series. You can find part one of it last week where we focused on the core concepts of Hearthstone, stuff like tempo, card advantage, etc. And this week we wanted to go over the different kind of deck archetypes that are in the game and where all the different popular decks fit into those archetypes. So hopefully this will give um, new players especially a place to start in terms of understanding kind of where decks fit in and what um what principles define different decks and how they uh how they're differentiated from one another so anything you want to describe here on the top of the show on us where we jump into the specific archetypes sure i just wanted to do a little quick uh psa we've been starting all these beginner guides core concepts uh dark archetypes that whole thing and we've gotten a lot of feedback for our first episode, and we are mm-hmm. very happy for that. Uh, a lot of people seem to like the direction the new show is taking. Um, also, some other people freaked out a little bit. They're like, <laughs> oh, are you guys going to start doing this from now on? Um, I just want to say to those people, you know, we're not going to be talking about mana crystals and resources until the end of time. <laughs> um, this is a you know general guideline resource that we want to create so that Later down the line, we have a resource that we can always point people towards. And right. it felt right to do at least the first uh, so four or so episodes, like introductory type, where we can go through all the core concepts. Uh, today, we'll go through the deck archetypes, all that stuff. And then later move on to more in-depth sections of strategy. And uh, yeah, we'll be covering still very current things. You know, we'll be talking about things like the patron nerve. We had some listeners that were interested in that sort of thing we'll mm-hmm. probably discuss that at the end of the show since we got a, a few emails in about that so yep we'll touch on it but yeah i just wanted to touch on that so for those people who have been listening to the show for a while and knew us for before we started doing these guides 
We're still gonna be very much like that. Uh, these few episodes just tend to be like this while we uh, get him out of the way. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Um, we the main reason we're making this beginner's guide is so we have a resource for people to catch up to speed, so that we can discuss more complex issues without having to worry about whether or not people know the fundamentals. This way, anyone coming to our podcast. We can always refer them to these fundamentals, and then they can uh, understand the more complex discussions we can have going forward. And like you said, Andres, we can totally theme our future episodes around interesting current stuff. We just don't want our show to be a rundown of the news every week. We want to go more in depth than that. So yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know, if there's worth uh, uh, news worth discussing down the line, we definitely totally are willing to do it on the show. You know, this deck is all about Hearthstone. We love everything Hearthstone. We yeah. have to center on the strategy, but you know. Exactly. Strategy like, encompasses a lot of things. Yeah, we could have made a whole episode around the patron nerf talking about nerfs and buffs in general and what the fallout of that was going to be. Just the timing happened to line up with we wanted to get this beginner's guide and consistently focus on it for the first few weeks. Exactly. So it and really uh, it's, a, it's a change that still we still have to see how it's going to unfold. We'll totally. touch on it a little bit at the end of the show. Uh, but with that being said, I'd say uh, let's kick it off. Yeah, the the last quick note I wanted to say is if there are just little things you want us to address that maybe aren't the whole episode, we do, starting this week, are going to have a listener mail segment at the end of each episode. So if you have any, like, random topic or recent news you want us to cover that you don't think we're going to make an episode about, just send us in an email and we can talk about it for a few minutes at the end of the show. So, yeah, and keep the feedback coming. It's been great. Yes. I love uh, hearing from all of you guys. What do you think about this type of shows and stuff? Yeah, we um, got a lot of feedback in and it was I really appreciate all of it, uh, especially like one, the guy who emailed took time to listen to the episode multiple times to, to really give the best, uh, analysis he could. So all yeah, of that is I'm really glad appreciated. if he can, if people can get this punch out of this episodes, I'm, it makes me very happy. Totally. All right. So here we go. Uh, deck archetypes, Andres. What are they? All right. So, um, before we get started on deck archetypes, let's mm -hmm. just touch on. What what is a deck archetype, right? Because before yeah. we start talking about them, why is it important to even like know deck archetypes so know why they exist? Basically, deck archetypes are a way that the community around uh, TCGs or collectible card games have established to describe a certain kind of deck. And why this is important is because in a game like Hearthstone where information and knowledge is everything, being able to categorize decks into surefire categories that you can instantly know what um, that deck might aim to do or mm -hmm. the general playstyle of that deck is very important and is very useful to quickly, in just a few words, be able to pinpoint the specific characteristics of a deck that, uh, that make it what it is. Right. Like any classification system, it's a generalization simplification that just helps. It isn't, there's nothing about this that is true. Like, um, in the way that Hearthstone does not say certain things are control decks or aggro decks in the game client that, at all. It's just a way for the community to create some general labels to put decks into so you understand what you're getting into and know a little more about the deck. Exactly. Um, um, it's all arbitrary, but it's kind of just agreed upon principles that we can have a starting point rather than just a random collection of 30 cards that have no connection. Yeah, between each exactly. Other. And uh, in games like Hearthstone or games like Magic the Gathering or just general card games, mm -hmm. from design, from the design standpoint, there's different approaches that um, the developers of this game have given the players on how to play the game. There's right. different approaches. You can 
win the game in different ways. And that is why this deck archetypes exist, because it basically describes the fashion in which a deck attempts to win. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the core point, especially when you're first playing a deck, because keeping in mind how you're actually going to win the game is probably the most valuable thing you can know about your deck. Or, a ga- or your opponent's deck. Yeah, totally. Stopping them from winning, knowing what they're going for, and thus knowing how to counter that, which we're going to be getting into. Yep. All right. So let's get into it. Yep. The first- Speaking of winning. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The first archetype that we're going to touch on it wins a lot. That is true. <laughs> People see it a lot. That is because it's the, one of the most common and predominant archetypes in Hearthstone so far, and mm-hmm. that is aggro. Aggro. Um, aggro. So I guess aggro is short for aggressive. Yep. Agro is a short word for aggressive. I'm not sure exactly where the term was coined. Yeah. Most of these terms, I believe, come from Magic the Gathering, since it's the right. longest, long-standing TCG out there. It started like in the 1990s. Yeah. Um, and Agro, most of yeah. most of these concepts emerge with Magic as people learn the game a little better and mm-hmm. try to like set general guidelines and stuff so that they could uh, understand the game better. Uh, exactly. But most of them have kind of like drifted over into the other collectible card games. So yeah, I think yeah. this is where it comes from. Don't quote me on it, but yes, I believe so. Probably. You know, my go-to answer for anything in Hearthstone is it came from Magic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, mo- most of it has. It's a safe bet. I mean, the developers Some of it those save themselves. from poker and other stuff. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Like tilt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, so aggro. What defines an aggro deck, Andres? I'm assuming it's aggressive. <laughs> yeah, so like the the name says, aggro stands for aggressive. It's a mm-hmm. deck that uh, usually uh, aims to use their cards as damage. Most of the cards in aggro decks just provide a ton of damage. Because of this, they favor a fast gameplay. They're usually uh, aiming for a tempo-oriented gameplay, meaning that they right. want to get on the board quick, faster than the opponent. And they're not looking to prolong the game. They're looking to close out the game as soon as they could. Yeah. Um, an accurate deck stream would be to close out the deck, the game on turn one. Obviously, this is not allowed because it'll be <laughs> unfun for everyone. Yeah. But uh, some accurate decks can get as fast as closing out the game by turn five. Yeah. Or if you get your opponent to concede, even sooner. Yeah, even sooner if you can get it to concede, which they actually do sometimes. Yeah, totally. Um, I think if you're thinking in terms of the kind of principles we introduced last week, aggro is a deck that very much relies on tempo in terms of getting a very fast start and keeping the pressure on your opponent. And it's a deck that's going to lose out in um, value, typically, and also in... um, card advantage so if you let the game go long with aggressive against a less aggressive deck what's going to happen is your cards are going to be hurting them and taking down their health but the cards aren't going to be as effective uh they're typically you know one mana two mana three mana cards once you get later in the game your opponent is playing four mana and five mana cards and using their mana more efficiently for less cards you're going to start to burn out run out of cards and if you can't kill them quick enough they're going to take the game back with their more powerful cards and you're not really going to have any recourse so exactly. the important thing to keep in mind if the win condition is aggro is you have to win fast because you're going to lose that long game if you let things go. You said it perfectly. This deck just generally tem- uh, favor tempo over card advantage and value because uh, they just, just want to finish the game fast and is uh, is what they want to do. Exactly. Face Hunter, pro- most of you probably heard of that deck. Um, the most popular aggro example in Hearthstone right now. 
um, gets a lot of hate because of that fact. Um, I don't personally mind Face Hunter. I don't play it myself. Um, but it is a deck that basically everything in the deck goes to directly hurt your opponent. Um, the hero power for Hunter does two damage to your opponent. Every card you play does damage to your opponent. Um, so you're just basically playing all of your cards to kill them as fast as possible. However, people, um, you know, joke about how aggro decks are just go face the entire time. You don't worry about anything else. But sometimes there's a really key part where you are going to have to remove one or two minions from your opponent. Um, just because the scales are tipped heavily towards always go towards your opponent doesn't mean you never want to focus in your opponent's board, which I think makes those few decisions of when to control your opponent's board more important and more high stakes in aggro, which exactly. I think is a fact that's often missed. When you're when you're playing aggro decks, you're generally focusing on their life points. You're, you generally have very finite resources because they're yeah. decks that don't pack a lot of card draw or that their cards are not going to gain a lot of value. Face Hunter is a great example to bring up because their cards hurt a lot. But their cards mm -hmm. are not hard to remove. Like uh, they pack things like leper gnomes, which are two ones, very easily removed just by yep. hero power, can be removed. So it's a card that can lose you card advantage really easily. Same mm -hmm. with things like um, the the wolf riders. Yep, three one charge. Yeah, that now have been changed for the Argent horse riders, mm. just because that divine shield actually prevents you from losing card advantage so easily and. Uh, right. So that's get, the yeah same mana cost two one instead of three one, but it has divine shield. But you're right that that lets you live longer. Exactly, you lose one one damage, but mm -hmm. uh, the card kind of sticks a little longer, uh, mm -hmm. so it can overall give you more damage. Right. Uh, but yeah, basically, it's cards that just have charge that can attack really fast, can be removed really easily. So it's a deck that will lose steam quite fast, but it's also a deck that can deal a lot a lot of damage really right. really fast. Um, but like you said, because it can run out of steam really fast, you have to be extremely efficient with your damage. Mm -hmm. And basically, you're aiming everything at the face, and anything that you have to divert away from face is um, has to be very strategic. You have to yeah. think about it. You have to think, if I deal 5 damage to this Belcher right now, am mm -hmm. I going to have enough damage to close out the game? Or is my opponent going to be able to take over the board, right. and am I going to run out of resources? Right. Though Belcher is an interesting um, example because that, and often in those cases, unless you have silence, you don't have a choice with taunt minions. And that's one of the big destro uh, destroyers of aggro is taunt minions. Yeah, taunt minions are they good remove your aggro. choice to go face. It, now that you said Belcher and taunt minions, aggro decks also run a lot of disruption effects. Yep. And you mentioned silence. Silence is a great example of a disruption effect, mainly because they want to close out the game fast. They want mm -hmm. to make their opponent have a hard time answering their things. Um, right. Silence is a great example of this. Since Belcher is such a great response to aggro, Silence just neutralizes that defense and might leave your opponent with their pants down pretty much. And yeah. you can o keep overwhelming them. Um, Agritex, they want to do that. They want to overwhelm their opponent fast enough and then they usually have disruption tools to yeah. uh, keep him going. And then they usually pack a few closing out tools. Closing out tools can be things like kill command or right. fireball, where regardless if your opponent hasn't been able to set up defenses, if you were able to bring them low enough, you can just directly close out the game with these type of cards. Exactly. Aggro is the type of deck where you can, you're looking, 
you're planning more short term than long term. You don't want to think about, you know, five turns down the line, how much value is that card going to get for them? You're just like, how quickly can I kill them before they're allowed to use what's powerful about their deck? Mm -hmm. uh, also, and disruption help, affects help a ton of that. Sorry, uh, were you going to say anything else? No, no, that's it. Go ahead. Sure. I was just going to say also, um, aggro decks tend to favor really low mana curves mm -hmm. um, because they want to be able to put a lot of pressure early on in the first few turns. Yeah. To do this, they need to constantly draw into their lower end uh, cards. So you want to be able to always have your one drop, two drop, three drop, that sort of thing. Uh, it's very dangerous for an aggro deck to not do anything on the first turn or two um, because it might not be quick enough to kill their opponent before they can establish um, their defenses. So because of this, <clears throat> aggro decks tend to be one, cheap in uh, dust cost, just yep. because you're using cheaper cards, you know, um, smaller minions that just overall on the board. And mm -hmm. also, they tend to uh, fall off fairly quick. Uh, the value of these cards later on in the game is pretty bad. Like, drawing <laughs> a Lepernome in turn 8 or turn 9 is uh, quite devastating. And that's probably, yeah, that leads to... Probably the thing that I've had the most trouble with with aggro decks, which is that when you play an aggro deck, you need to be playing an incredibly risky style. Like, you can't say, oh, they might have a board wipe. I probably shouldn't play my minions. I should probably only play them one or two at a time because what if they, you know, remove my board and then I can't deal any damage? Because if you hesitate, you lose by default with aggressive decks, which again isn't to say there's no subtlety in terms of removing minions or making non-aggressive plays, but you have to play so heavily skewed towards being risky or else you're just you're shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, with aggro decks, aggro decks really favor those people that uh, like asking the questions and like being yeah. uh, the ones who are on the offensive side. Um, they usually tend to have very short games as well, just because you're always trying to close out the game early. Usually if it gets past like turn seven or eight you've already lost the game you concede and move on mm -hmm. or um your opponent kills you so yeah. generally these games don't go past turn 10 so people who like this type of play style tend to uh favor aggro yeah it's a concept that's also seen in most other strategy games using starcraft as an example there are like all-in strategies which people just go all in and say okay i'm gonna zerg rush if this fails i pretty much lose the game but if it, if yeah, it succeeds exactly. i pretty much win the game that's what it same, is same same uh same qualities. That's other decks, I was style. just going to say, other decks yep. that are kind of like in the same vein, um, the Agro Paladin, the one that plays all the small minions with a uh, Blessing of Kings and like mm -hmm. the Chargers. You mean the one you never see anymore because the Secret Paladin? Yeah, you don't, <laughs> you don't see it anymore as much. I think it's still a pretty good deck. It's yeah, it's really deck. good before Secret. Uh, uh -huh. For an Agro deck, you know, it gets the job done. But now that Secret Paladin is here, it's kind of been <laughs> kind of forgotten about. Yep. Uh, we also have Mech Shaman. Make Shaman is a very effective aggro deck, um, mm -hmm. but like other aggro decks, it it lacks in the late game and yeah. is easily countered if you can get through the the early game. But it's one of those decks that if it just gets the right start, here's no deck can stop it. One of the big problems I think with Mech Shaman uh, compared to something like Face Hunter is that it doesn't utilize what I think is the mechanic that makes Hearthstone. That makes aggro and hearthstone so effective, which is charge. Um, most of the, or a lot of the damage in mech shaman is stuff that they have to keep on the board for a turn before it starts dealing damage. Um, which is useful, but not as useful as stuff like face hunter, where the turn you play wolf rider, you're dealing damage to your opponent's face. Um, 
And that's, I think, what makes it's something we've talked about earlier on the podcast, but something that makes aggro in general so effective in Hearthstone is unlike magic, your opponent can't choose to block your attack at any time with his creatures. Unless you have a taunt creature, you can choose to go face with every single creature every single time. So that that becomes exceedingly powerful in Hearthstone because every time you play a minion that has charge or even the next turn, if it doesn't, you can always attack your opponent's health. Um, and that's something that isn't really seen in a lot of other TCGs and is something that makes it extremely effective. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think it's a, it's a cool point that you just made there because an aggro deck to another aggro deck might have slight differences. I would mm-hmm. say probably Phase Hunter is one of the fastest aggro decks out there with just constantly putting damage out there. Mech right. Shaman, on the other hand, is not as fast in the way that it deals damage to the other player, mm-hmm. but it it packs a little bit more of a punch. Oh, yeah. And with cards like um, Mech Warper, you can do really big tempo plays where you can unload a lot of creatures from your hand with higher costs. You can achieve the mana curve and just tempo them out into the battlefield. And these right. cards can hurt quite a bit. If you're, especially when you're putting them out so early, your opponent might not have drawn or uh, have mm-hmm. enough mana to deal with them. Yeah, there was that one tournament game where Firebat won with a mech uh, shaman like on turn two or three. Yeah, <laughs> with um, with that Wind Fury three two. Uh, oh, what's the, his name? The Whirling Zapomatic. Whirling Zapomatic. And then he just threw a bunch of buffs on yeah, it for cheap and the just Jedi. destroyed it. Yep. <laughs> have you ever seen the golden version of that card? With yeah, the with lightsabers. The yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's pretty cool. I love that. So card. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Decks like Mech Shaman can take the game like that, where like the cards can deal so much damage on their own, mm-hmm. or cards like uh, Fell Reaver, yeah, which can come out oh, as gosh. soon as turn four and eight yeah. eight for you know four mana if you have the yeah. coin. I've been playing a ton of Aggro Druid recently, and if you can get out those large threats, the the thing that's so potent about those threats like Fell Reaver is its cards, and that is an 8-attack, eight 8-health eight minion that whenever your opponent plays cards, it mills cards from your deck and discards them. Um, but it's not a problem because you're finishing the game out so quickly. And what's so powerful about that is it's only 5 mana, especially if you can ramp it out with something like Druid, you're playing threats that the opponent just can't deal with yet, doesn't have the mana or the um, or the cards to be able to effectively answer it. That's the kind of stuff that's supposed to come out late yeah. game. So that's another way you can be aggressive, which is by getting stuff out earlier than it should be, even if it's giving you a penalty. Fell Reaver is a good example of an aggro card mm-hmm. because you realize that you care about your late game and that you're yep. you're never going to get to the bottom of your deck. You can risk playing things like Fell Reaver, which yeah. mill three cards out of your deck every time your <laughs> opponent plays a card. You can lose yeah. so many cards in one turn. Yeah, But the bottom line is that they can mill your entire deck. That Fell Reaver might still outright win you the game just by going yeah. base. It's a good trainer on how to think about aggro, which is it's literally destroying your late game before your very eyes. It's killing your value <laughs> before your very eyes. It's like that's how you have to yeah, think about it. But as most an aggro deck, decks. you really don't care. Yeah, exactly. Um, anything else on aggro decks or should we move um, on? No, I think, uh, I think that should do it. Make it pretty clear what it is. Yep. All right, so after aggro, we have the opposite of aggro, and that is control. So, Andres, what are control decks? That is right. Control is the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, Basically, control decks want to slow the game down, and they usually do this by means... uh, And just slow down the game by means of attrition, and then at the end, just pretty much get to a point where they just win the game because their opponent has 
run out of resources, and they can start deploying their more slow, powerful cards to uh, finish things off. Exactly. Um, opposite of, like, if you want to look at the mana curve to differentiate them, um, uh, aggro wants, you know, a bunch of one and two and three drops and that sort of thing, while control, because it plays a very defensive style of play, can typically spend its lower curve just stopping the opponent, and then it can actually beef up on a bunch of, you know, seven, eight, nine drops that it can drop in late game, and other decks that are less uh, late game oriented just won't have effective answers to that. Yeah, um, exactly. Basically, it's a game of attrition with uh, control decks, and what I mean by this is you're trying to slowly grind down your opponent in effective ways, in ways mm -hmm. that um, are good for you, and is Slowly over time, your opponent is going to have less and less options while your options are going to increase with control decks. That's the, like the theory behind them. You want to slow the game down because the more that the game goes on and drags on, the better off you are while your yeah. opponent is going to be in a worse position. And um, control decks do this in a variety of ways. <clears throat> a very common thing to see in control decks is they aim to remove threats at a reduced cost or very efficiently. Mm -hmm. So you see them packing a lot of things like AoE spells. Control right. decks uh, love things like Flame Strike, Hellfire, Shadow Flame, uh, Brawl, Consecrate, yeah. uh, Holy Nova, you name them. <laughs> Anything that deals damage to a large amount of minions is yeah. great for a control deck because they can allow your opponent to overextend and then remove three or four cards in one soup. Because if you're going to think about control decks similarly to how we put it in the core, in uh, context of the core concepts for aggro in control decks, you don't really care about tempo at all for your own deck. Like you're not trying to build up um, uh, minions over time. At least most control decks aren't. The only thing you care about tempo is reducing your opponent's tempo. What you care about much more is card advantage and value. And it, you're looking to, throughout the game, basically keep your opponent paralyzed while spending less cards than they are and spending less resources than they are, which in the late game is going to leave you with a handful of threats and them with nothing. Which exactly. Is the concept. So yeah, threat removal at reduced cost is a fantastic way to get that. Yeah. Another, another idea of this is using very effective removal for mm -hmm. um, big threats that your opponent might have. So examples of this are things like Big Game Hunter, yep. Hex, Polymorph. These sort of cards can allow you to remove single very large threats with a, in a very effective fashion. Again, neutralizing your opponent, extending the game, and uh, keeping the, the resource balance on your favor rather than on theirs. Yeah, anything that like anything time you can kill, you know, a seven, eight mana creature with a three mana card, you're getting a lot of value there. Yep. Another way that control decks do this, and this is a little more of an abstract concept, uh, mm -hmm. but it works really well. And once you realize this, you can use really use this to your advantage. And is control decks tend to not play threats that can be answered. And uh, what I mean by this is they, it's not that they play cards that have no answer to them, but rather <laughs> they just play no, no cards. Um, <laughs> they're usually on a very reactive role. They're yeah. not uh, putting out threats themselves. So other decks then might bring cards that are specifically aimed towards removing threats or controlling uh, the board suddenly lose a ton of value because they have nothing to aim them at. Yeah. A good example of this is sometimes you can be playing with, let's say, an aggressive deck. 
and mm. you're playing against a control deck. You deploy some of your creatures, and they're able to deal with them very effectively. Now you draw into your next turn, and you look at your hand, and your hand is looking like Fireball, Frostbolt, and maybe like Mirror Entities. All, <laughs> all these cards can be good, but because you don't have any creatures to put on the board, they're just not necessarily good at that time. You yeah. don't really want to Fireball at their face and their Frostbolt because it's going to deal some damage... But it's but not, not going to really affect, affect the game in any significant way, right? You want right. to kind of save these cards till you can close out the game for good, or maybe use them to remove one of their creatures. But because they're not playing any creatures, suddenly you're looking at a turn where you have nothing to do. Right. Or often the creatures they play get them value on their own. It's something like Acolyte of Pain, which draws them cards, or Armorsmith, which gains them armor. So it's creatures that even if they lose them, they're getting value from them, regardless. Yeah, exactly. So... This effectively gives the control player an advantage because mm -hmm. by not playing things and making your opponent have dead cards, it can make him sometimes have really awkward or dead turns where they're yeah. not very effective and they might just pass the turn without doing anything <laughs> significant, uh, furthering the game plan of the control yep. deck, which Attrition. is just to get it to the, to, uh, the end game as much as possible. Exactly. Another thing that control decks do really well is uh, synergy disruption. Yes. Sometimes control decks don't need to necessarily deal with everything that their opponents have, but they just need to deal with the key cards that allow your opponent to do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. A lot of decks bring several cards that are very synergistic together and that together create very powerful effects, but that by themselves are cards that are not very strong. So usually people don't want to play these cards just on their own. Um, a good example for this, uh, and a simple one, is in mech decks. Mm -hmm. Mech Warper is kind of like the centerpiece of a lot of mech decks. Where right. You can deploy your mech Warper and then get you know, a discount on your creatures. You can get ahead on the board. Yep. Um, a good control player realizes this, and the second mech Warper comes down he kills it. And mm -hmm. by killing Mech Warper, he doesn't necessarily have to deal with the rest of uh, the opponent's creatures, but he has delayed his opponent, and his opponent is going to have to pace himself a little more by playing his creatures, giving the control player more time to uh, deal with everything individually. Yeah. So control, that's kind of the thing yeah. that I mean by synergy disruption. Totally. Control is a very precise style of play where you have to identify what your opponent's weaknesses are and use your resources to most effectively cripple them as you can. Um, yeah. This is especially true in decks that rely on specific ways to win. Like every time you're going up against a deck with control, you want to analyze, okay, how does this deck win? Let's take Patron, for example, the deck that, you know, you won't actually have to deal with anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but that would win, you know, typically by frothing berserkers and grim patrons. Um, so throughout the game, you would just want to think, okay, do I have cards that can deal with those threats? And as they play them, uh, play those cards, slowly deal with those threats effectively. And once you take out the, you know, two Warsong commanders they have to give their minions charge and the two um, Frothing Berserkers they have, they don't really have a win condition anymore. So just by destroying those, you can pretty much win the game and not have to worry too much about the other uh, cards um, and, and potential threats they have. So 
Exactly. That's something always to keep in mind is where not just, you know, does this effectively kill this minion for a good cost, but is this the minion that will enable this deck to beat me? Is this where I need to be putting my pressure? Yeah, exactly. And always, always think like, okay, if they play Archmage Antoninus on turn seven, I need to have an executor or shield slam or something that can deal with that if they play. You always want to be thinking about, you know, keeping the right card around for the right circumstance, which comes, you know, over time of knowing the other decks, which is one reason control decks are not typically good beginner decks, because they rely on knowing more of the metagame, I would say, than something like an aggro deck. Yeah, control decks, just because they're in a more reactive role, mm -hmm. um, they they tend to be a little harder to play because you need to be a little better at allocating um, your removal right. and how you're going to defend well, aggro decks, at least in the in the beginning stages, uh, like once you once you get to the top end level of of play, aggro mm -hmm. decks sometimes are argued to be harder to play than control decks. But mm -hmm. at least when you start playing Hearthstone, aggro decks have a more defined game plan, where it's like right. I just I'm just gonna go to their face. I'm just gonna kill them really quick. Um, control decks, at least when you're first starting out, really rely on you <clears throat> considering all your options and deciding okay, can I do this now or should I save this later? Should I yeah. use this removal on this creature or should I just try to play a creature and remove it with my creature? And um, it's basically a game of keeping yourself alive. And sometimes that can be a little harder to do if you don't necessarily know all the cards that your opponents might be playing. Exactly. Like aggro decks, I think you can get further with an aggro deck without even worrying what your what deck your opponent is playing. Like you can basically play the same game yeah, plan. Yeah, with aggro decks you can sometimes ignore your opponent's game's plan just because yeah. you're trying to close out the game so so fast exactly. that you don't really have to worry about that. Which with is why people decks, don't like it. <laughs> yeah, with control decks on the other hand, you're trying to get to the end of the game. Yeah. So you need to be able to understand your opponent's game plan so yep. that you can counter it accordingly. Which, again, I relate back to StarCraft. I can never play mid or late game in StarCraft because it required me to know so many more of the mechanics of the game than just rushing my opponent because <laughs> you're just, by default, you're playing less of the game. So it's uh, less stuff to have to know going into I really, it. I really hope that there is, like, one a listener out there that loves StarCraft. Yes! Because... I love your StarCraft analogies. They're always like spot on. They always like work really well. But <laughs> but so many I, more I people play Hearthstone than StarCraft. Like, yes, Brian That's loves true. StarCraft. Uh, I was terrible at StarCraft. <laughs> Hearthstone <laughs> is what I play because I can't play StarCraft. There you but go. yeah, I wonder how many people are like, man, I can master StarCraft, but Hearthstone, I just can't get into it. <laughs> <laughs> there must be somebody out there. Uh, Warcraft 3, that also uh, works. Maybe yeah, there's some players a very fun game. All right. Um, all right. So, anything else on control decks? I guess just a few examples of control decks um, coming out. There are Control Warrior, uh, Handlock is a good example. Mm -hmm. um, control Priest, like the Line Bomb style that has a ton of removal. I'm talking not the, um, the Dragon Priest, but more of the traditional style. Yeah, with, yeah the old Priest. Yeah, yep. with Circles of Healings and Akinai, uh, Shadow Priest, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, those are. I, my personal favorite is, has always been Control Warrior. That's one of the first decks I ever played, but it's also a very expensive deck yeah. to play. Control Warrior is probably like one of the purest control decks, but yeah. really it just aims to stall the game for the longest time, has very, very efficient removal, um, and then it just has huge slow threats that deploys at the end of the game and stumps you over. Yeah, it's uh, probably the two control decks you're going to be seeing common in Hearthstone at this point is Control Warrior, which, yeah, 
just stalls the game out until they can play their finisher, which is typically like um, Grom and Alex Straza. So reducing your opponent's health to 15 and then finishing them out with a super powerful charge minion. Mm-hmm. Um, but Handlock is an interesting difference and kind of shows how control can be a flexible style of play. And that Handlock also focuses around playing a lot of threats itself. It's just and kind of later on. in the game. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, A little later in the show, we'll get into this because yeah. these are the main archetypes but that doesn't mean that a deck can only be control or that yeah. a deck can only be aggro in fact totally. um the lines are very blurred in hearthstone there's all sorts of things and you can you can combine you can have aggro control you can have all these things but we'll, we'll mm-hmm. touch on that later totally but speaking of blurred <clears throat> lines we have mid-range which uh it's kind of the definition of being a combination mid-range decks so, originally, the mid-range archetype, um, especially coming from Magic, mm-hmm. it's a hybrid archetype, where yeah. it, people didn't consider it originally an archetype by itself, right. but I feel like um, it's grown enough, and it has enough characteristics to that you can make it an archetype on its own right. Yeah. Um, but pretty much, mid-range decks lie somewhere in between aggro decks and control decks. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a hybrid of both. Usually, the the game plan of a mid-range deck consists of um, of an early game where they try to control the board. They're not trying to get on the board as quick as possible, although some of these decks can. Um, but unlike aggro, is not looking for so much speed in the beginning of the game, but more of a balanced control. And they're usually trying to set up for yeah. their mid game. Um, Pure to differentiate aggro to mid ranges early game is mid ranges. The reason mid range is playing an early game is not to deal damage typically, but to remove um, threats from the opponent and kind of control the board. For example, Zombie Chow, the two attack three health creature that when it dies it gives your opponent five health. Terrible in aggro because it's not getting you any damage done really good in mid-range because it can trade effectively with other one-drop minions and other early minions while allowing you to build a presence. Um, exactly. Um, <clears throat> a key aspect of mid-range decks is that a lot of them um, tend to play cards in the early game mm-hmm. that don't necessarily um, give him immediate value, but will give him value a few turns down the line. Um, what I mean by this, and a good example of it, is uh, for example, Midrange Druid. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Midrange Druid aims to control the board early on with things like Wrath, uh, Swipes, Keeper yeah. of the Grove, that sort of thing. But it also aims to set up into their mid-game with things like Wall Growth, their Nasus Aspirant, and even things like Innervate can help them do that. Or uh, where... Shade of Nexramus, which literally gets stronger every turn. Yeah, exactly. Shade of Nexramus is a good example of that. A minion that you play early that you plan on not using until probably like turn six or seven, yeah. right? Uh, that's usually the cutoff point for mid-range decks. Usually around turn five or six, you change your gears, and suddenly mm-hmm. these decks start pumping out um, usually sizable threats. Yeah. Um, we have, for example, mid-range Hunter, which by turn six starts dropping seven high main, then into Dr. Boom. Some people mm-hmm. even like sneaking Arachnoros in there sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, same with mid-range druid. They start dropping druid of the claw, Sylvanas, um, um, Ancient Belcher, of Lore. Yeah. 
that sort of things like big big guys that provide a lot of value and a big threat mm-hmm. um so that's pretty much the concept of mid-range you know uh also is an interesting architect because it's very flexible let's yeah. say against control decks you can play more of an attrition based game where you can slowly grind them down and then win with your bigger dudes down the line and you can play a more aggressive game against control decks so it it can it can vary right it can play as yeah. a control deck sometimes it can play as an aggro deck sometimes that's yeah that's a really basically has characteristics of both that's the really cool thing about mid-range is if you queue up into the game and you're like oh my gosh i'm facing face hunter all right well the good thing about face hunter is if i can burn them out i have a better late game than them so you know you play around removing their threats keeping them neutralized making them waste their cards keeping yourself healthy you know playing a lot of taunts a lot of things that can control the early game and then you're kind of good to go because you're just going to get more value out of your cards than they are from turn five onwards well like you said in facing a control deck you queue up against something like control warrior you're just like okay i have to kill them before they're allowed to get into their late game before they're allowed to outvalue me so suddenly you start using these same cards and the same um the same deck but you can be faster than your opponent. So that's kind of the cool thing about mid range yeah. is like you said, uh, there's it can the other, adapt. also the other side of the coin to this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a mid range deck, on the other hand, if it's facing an aggro deck uh-huh. and the aggro deck is able to put the mid range deck in a position where they have to race, uh-huh. the mid range deck will usually be at a disadvantage because oh, the yeah. pure aggro deck can usually is usually faster, has more speed, and can close out the game a little faster just because it's more aimed to do that. Uh, same with the control deck. If the control deck manages to get the mid-range deck into an attrition war, then the control deck will probably, probably end up coming victorious just because the yeah. value of their cards is generally better. Um, so it's kind of like a jack-of-all-trades, right? Exactly. Like master of none. Exactly. So the mid-range deck is one of the most consistent decks you can get, but it might not capitalize on weaknesses as much in the meta or just in general as much as other decks can. It's it's very consistent, though. I mean, you see that in mid-range druid, which typically just doesn't go away. Like, it's it gets a little bit better and a little bit worse, but it's always there. Like, yeah. it's just really consistent and solid. And there's it, a, there's the not deck, a reason you know, why, because, but we'll touch on that. Yeah, in a, that's in true, a, in too. A bit. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's one of my favorite archetypes. Mid-range Paladin is probably the one I've gotten most into yeah. over time. Uh, yeah, but. let's say a few examples of this. Uh, like you said, mid-range druid is a good example. Uh, very strong minions, very uh, good early game setup and ways to remove the board. Mm-hmm. We also have mid-range Paladin. has a very solid uh, game start with shielded minibots. It can use muster for battle to control the early game really well. And then it gets quite strong once it gets to pass like turn six you start dropping sylvanas dr boom tier and forging you also have things like lay on hands to keep you in the game and draw a little more cards and then <clears throat> you can even turn your dudes into big three threes with your mm-hmm. quartermaster um mid-range hunter a good example of that um yep. is a deck that unlike face hunter is not aiming to go towards your face uh super fast in the beginning on mm-hmm. the other hand, trying to set up things uh, for later on. A good example yeah. of setting up with the hunter is instead of using explosive traps, they yeah. love using freezing traps. Right. Because this way, you can do things like freezing trap your opponent's shredder and drop your own shredder. Or right. uh, freezing trap into your turn 5, coin out a high main. And then yeah. suddenly, your opponent is really behind and you're dropping your big 
mid-game threats. Yeah, Hunter um, has a really good ability. I think one reason they work for mid-range is they have a really great ability to gain tempo at low cost. Like you said, Freezing Trap can come out of a Mad Scientist, which is a minion that lets you get a secret for free. So basically for free, you're putting minions back into your opponent's hand and making them cost more. Additionally, you can um, use stuff like Hunter's Mark, which costs zero mana to reduce mm-hmm. a, an opponent's minion's health to one. You can play stuff like Savannah Hymen on turn six, which is an incredibly threatening minion. Um, so yeah, it's like, it, it does pretty well, like gaining tempo and gaining value yeah. over the course of the game. It also has tools, super good tools, like, uh, knife juggling to unleash the hounds, yep. which is devastating against aggro. Again, yeah. playing the good attrition weapons. war, or you can get rid of your opponent's cards with virtual knives that come out of nowhere. <laughs> That's, that is the worst combo ever. <laughs> I, I hate playing yep. that, but yeah. Uh, Dragon Priest is a good example of a mid-range deck. Mm-hmm. Um, you can control the border Leon. With your, oh, what's the name of the 2 4 with Tom? Wormrest Accord? Yeah, the or not Wormrest Accord, sorry, Wormrest Agent. agent. Or something. Wormrest yep. Agent. Yeah. And then um, uh, later on, bringing your mid range dragons, right? Yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the type of mid range play where you're just playing a good creature on every turn from one to seven. <laughs> like, yeah. Or nine, even. You're just yeah, continually yeah, yeah. playing threats. Cool. Um, uh, so I think that covers it for. Yeah. Midrange decks. Midrange is a good example of just, you know, it's it seems almost a little bit um ambiguous because yeah, these are just it's kind of a merging <laughs> of both styles we went over before. So yep. it's right there in the middle. Uh something that kind of is on the uh uh outskirts of all of this though is combo decks. These are very specific types of decks. Combo decks. Combo decks are super, super fun, in my opinion. Um combo decks don't necessarily aim towards an aggro plan or a control plan. Combo mm-hmm. decks just tend to find cards that work really, really well together. Um, combo decks are one of the funnest things for deck builders to 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 invent uh, mm-hmm. or to come up with because literally most com- or not li- not literally but most common decks. Um, have found a combination of cards that cards that stand on their own are not very powerful, but once you put them together, <clears throat> they can create an effect powerful enough to outright win you the game right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so what the, that's what basically they're trying to do. They're just trying to chain a bunch of cards together, create a really powerful effect, and take over. Um, to do this, this type of decks value things like card value, consistency, and things like speed um you want card value because you want your cards to be able to stand on its ground long enough for you to draw into your combo you -hmm. want a consistent deck that can draw into your combo pieces um consistently enough right you don't want to have 10 games where you just draw your combo once you want to have 10 games where you draw your combo eight out of ten times <laughs> consistency uh, is key for combo decks because exactly. yeah, you can find an amazing combo that requires like five cards that just outright when you see the game but you're going to get that like one out of 50 games so that's yep. not a good deck and then uh the last point is speed is very yeah. crucial that you can draw into your combo fast enough before your opponent can kill you because if not then what are you even doing playing with this deck <laughs> yeah, the the win condition of a combo honestly consists of two things you have to do. So let's take a specific combo deck to provide some context here. Uh, we'll say Oil Rogue. Um, that is a deck 
that relies on using Tinker Sharp Sword Oil, which gives your weapon plus three attack as well as a random minion plus three attack uh, at the same time. And then combining that with Blade Flurry, which destroys your weapon to deal your weapon's damage to your opponent's board and their face. Yeah. Um, this can be used as an amazing finisher because if you have a creature on the board, you can play Tinker Sharp Sword Oil, buff up your weapon, buff up your creature, attack with your weapon, attack with your creature, and then Blade Flurry, which deals your weapon's damage to your opponent again. This can often do something like between like 15 and 20 damage in one turn. Yeah, sometimes so, it can outright do 30 damage. It exactly. can be that strong. Um, so the two two aspects of winning with that deck, one is going to be, like you said, playing cards that can draw you in to that winning combo. And the second part is going to be making sure throughout the game you reduce your opponent's life enough that they get in range of that combo. Um, so it's kind of those two aspects of obviously, like you said, staying alive is the third part, controlling the board to do that. But basically yeah. for your own win condition, you're looking to set up your opponent's life total to where it's in a position that you can kill them and then set up your own hand in a position where you have the cards to kill them. Yeah, exactly. Every um, combo deck pretty much does that. Yeah, every combo deck. I just want to center a little bit on the card value part of it. Totally. Because um, value is very important to this type of decks because you are sacrificing deck slots or not deck slots, but card slots in yeah. your deck for this combo. And generally these cards on their own are not very good. A good example mm. of this is Patron Warrior. Yep. You just play a Patron by itself, just a 5 cost, 3-3, three, three, no more than that. It's not very good. It's easily for your opponents to remove by almost any creature or any spell, mm -hmm. and um, you spent a ton, a ton of resources in it. But if you combine Patron Warrior with uh, the old Warson Commander and a ton of Whirlwind effects, suddenly mm -hmm. you have a huge threat that is very, very, very hard to remove. Um, to be able to do this, though, to be able to accomplish this and get away with putting cards in your deck that are not as valuable, you need to counteract that with cards that are very valuable. Mm -hmm. um, a good example of this is Patron Warrior also run things like Death Spite or Fiery yep. War Axe, which are cards that can pack a ton of value into them in the sense of one Fiery War Axe or one Death Spite can usually do you do a two for one for you. You yeah. can usually kill two creatures with one card. So this is the type of thing that I'm referring to. Oil That's Rogue really does point. the same thing. Oil Rogue um, uses things, for example, like SI Agents, which can also give you easy two for ones. Mm -hmm. uh, uses um, um, what's the name? Poison, Poison Blade. Oh, uh, Deadly Poison. Deadly Poison. Uh, which is basically a fire war axe. Once you equip your hero power, you daily poison your weapon, and you can kill two creatures with that. Um, so these are examples of card value that you need in a combo deck to be mm -hmm. able to get away with putting cards that don't necessarily give you that much value, uh, and that you might have to hold yeah. into your hand for a long time. So exactly. you want cards that can, you know, deal with a lot of things. That's a great point, because like you said, um, you're aiming to draw these combo pieces, so you want to draw them even early on in the game. But once they're in your hand, you're not going to play them pretty much until the end of the game or late in it, so they're just dead. Um, so yeah, mm -hmm. you're right. The few cards that are playable in your hand need to give you a lot of longevity. They can't just be like a Lepronome or something. Exactly. Other <laughs> yeah. examples of this is, for example, uh, Freeze Mage. Freeze mm -hmm. Mage uses things like Flame Strike and uh, Blizzard which are single cards that can net you a ton of value. It can remove yep. a ton of things out of one soup. Um, so yeah, yet another example of, of this. Very important in combat decks. 
And because of all that, I think combo decks are probably the hardest deck to play, which is one reason people really liked Patron being in the game. Uh, stuff like Oil Rogue and Patron and Freeze Mage are so difficult to play because you're having to predict the future very specifically. Um, mm-hmm. Often down to the point where you had to predict how much damage you can do with a combo that is by uh, nature um very variable you know patron relies on how many creatures are on the board oil rogue relies on a ton of factors yeah combo decks are usually referred to as uh puzzle decks Mm -hmm. where it feels like you're solving a puzzle when you're playing these decks right you have to do sometimes a ton of math uh you have to calculate your percentages because not only you're keeping uh track of your opponent's game plan but you're also trying to keep track of uh when you're going to draw your combo, you have to mm-hmm. be aware of how many cards are left in your deck. You know, all these things that go in the background to to machinate your plan. Yeah. Um, and you also on. have to do things that are very counterintuitive in the moment. Like you're yeah. gaining tempo or anything. It looks like you're playing a really bad game through most of the game. Yeah, sometimes uh, combo, combo, turns, combo deck turns look really awkward just yeah. because you're trying to maybe cycle through your deck sometimes to draw uh-huh. into the right cards. Um, and that brings me into the other part that is really important about tempo decks, and that is consistency. Mm-hmm. You n- definitely need to be able to draw into a combo super, super consistently. If not, then the deck is just not going to be good. If you're building your deck around a combo that you don't draw, then it's, it's a bad deck. Yeah. Um, to do this, though, to be able to be consistent with your decks, these these decks usually employ fast or copious amounts of card draw or cycling <laughs> through their deck so much that's yeah. why the classes with the best card draw are often the classes that do combo decks to guaranteed that they're gonna end up with a combo in their hand they just have to be able to draw as fast as possible mm-hmm. um so back in the day for example one of the most prominent combo decks was um miracle rogue oh my gosh and miracle rogue with the use of uh gadgets and actioneer could every time it cast a spell. Deck. Yeah. Yes, every spell cast drew you a card, and rogues have a billion cheap spells. Yeah, so they could draw through your entire deck, almost guaranteeing that the combo would end up in their hand. Mm-hmm. Um, Patron Warrior has Battle Rage, which yep. for every damage minion allows you to draw a card, and if you have a full, full board of patrons that are also damaged with your whirlwind, you can draw tons and tons of cards. Patron Warrior also has the 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 other way you can go about it, not only putting in card draw, but putting in multiple combos and multiple ways to get it. Patron has the patrons themselves, they have the war songs, and then they have the um uh frothing berserkers. And these can be used in more than one combination to win. Um yeah. Uh, yeah. Patron actually has several combos that you can utilize. And that is super valid too. Actually that just makes your deck stronger. Yeah. Um if your main combo can also divide itself into mini combos or you mm-hmm. can combo different cards together. Um, mm-hmm. that's even better. It's one of the reasons why Patron was so strong. So the other way you can get card draw is by making the game go longer, because every single turn you're drawing a card. That's yep. more of the strategy that Freeze Mage goes for. It has yeah. some card draw, but the thing that's so good about Freeze Mage is you can freeze your opponent's minions, you can put up ice barriers, you can put up ice blocks, and you can basically just make yourself into this invincible block of ice that's just stalling until the game ends. Yeah, stalling um, is very key for combo decks. Yeah. And that's what um, it relies on. Patron yeah, was so powerful because it was both a warrior, which could get a ton of armor, and also have a ton of card draw. So, like, at the best of all worlds, it's a combo deck. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last thing, speed, just to touch uh, briefly on it. <clears throat> it's important that not only can you draw through your deck, 
but you can do this at a quick rate, right? You want to be able to get your combo pieces in your hand as fast as possible, because the longer you wait, um, the the less chances you have of winning the game, right? Like, yeah. sometimes you get really unlucky and that last combo piece was in the last card and you just <laughs> couldn't get to it. If you had just drawn into it, you would have won the game, but you yep. didn't draw into it, so your opponent was able to close it out and you're dead. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so very key. That's why uh, the best combo decks usually employ things that sometimes even seem like exploits. <laughs> um, like battle rage sometimes seems like super unfair where your opponent has yep. a full board and then he draws like six cards so huge amounts of cards in one turn right or miracle rogue had the gadgets and just drawing even more cards mm-hmm. uh at a very very fast rate um nowadays r- rogues um take care of that using things like preparation and sprint which mm-hmm. allows you to, by turn four, draw four cards, which is yep. quite a lot. Yeah. And you may say, well, you're spending two cards to get four, but in a combo deck, that's okay. You don't care about card advantage as much as you care about getting specific cards, which is yeah. a, it's a difference in the concept that's important to understand. Exactly. You're not just looking to generally have more value. You're looking, it's okay to spend any cards you have in your hand to be able to cycle through and get to those other cards. Like if you could make a 10-card combo deck instead of a 30-card deck, you would. Like that would be amazing. So you're stuck having uh, But yeah, I think that covers it with combo decks. All right. Cool. Um that covers all of the primary types of decks out there. Um one thing I did want to touch on that I forgot about in control is mill decks. I don't want to go in depth because they really aren't a part of Hearthstone right now. Um, at least in terms of the, I mean, the primary they, metagame. They are um they exist, right? They're not yeah. super popular, but you you can make a mill deck. And we're not listing yeah. we're not listing mill decks as an archetype here, mainly because I don't think they're an archetype on its own. Mm-hmm. They're just kind kind of a type of one of these archetypes. They're control, really. I mill, mean, so far, mill- so far, the ones that we have, because it it can be different ones. That's true. I guess you could have like an aggro mill deck. You can but- have a combo mill deck. Yeah, you're right. You could have that. I mean, basically what mill decks are looking to do, and you're right, in like Magic, there are some combos that like immediately mill your opponent's entire deck. Yeah, exactly. But in mill, mill decks, what you're looking to do is basically make your opponent run out of cards by making them overdraw and draw a ton of cards. And you know, in Hearthstone, once you have no cards, you start taking damage. Yeah, but basically what that is, or right now, right yeah. now in Hearthstone, the only types of mill decks that exist are control mill decks, mm-hmm. where you are controlling the board and then you try to make them draw cards, usually parallel to you, and then later in the game, you just try to make them overdraw until they get into fatigue. Uh, Basically, this is just a control deck which accelerates the speed, like the attrition speed at which it uh, takes over the opponent. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's a faster control deck that's just like, all right, let's end this game by getting through both our decks really quickly. And some some decks have cards that can really take advantage of that. Rogue is probably the most popular mill because of stuff like mm-hmm. Vanish, which returns yeah. everything to their opponent's hand. And or but yeah, in hand. games like Magic: The Gathering, there are things like uh, combo mill decks. Yeah, you're which, right. Totally. Instead of uh, trying to control, the, I mean, you're still trying to control the board a little bit so you can draw into a combo. But mm-hmm. basically, once you draw into your combo, you assemble the pieces, you lay it on the board, and you automatically usually mill all of yeah. your opponent's cards until they're dead. Um, Hearthstone, you can't really do that, mainly because I don't think 
they, they want, want that to be a possibility. <laughs> They've been very careful with the mill cards they yeah. put in. Almost all of them are, um, uh, what did you say, parallel effects where the same thing is happening to you that's happened to your yeah. opponent, which really yeah, exactly. limit them, which is nice. Um, <laughs> I guess the last thing I want to say on archetypes is that yep. these are the main ones. Um, mm-hmm. Aggro, control, mid-range, and combo, I would say, are the most predominant ones totally um but like i said these are just categories that help us identify what type of deck we're using or playing against um to give us kind of a sense of how we should be using the deck right by knowing it's a aggro deck then suddenly you know oh i should be concentrating on uh tempo rather than a card advantage if you Mm -hmm. know it's a control deck you know oh i should be concentrating on value and card advantage rather than tempo Um, yes and that sort of thing but aside from that, in Hearthstone, there's only a few decks that you could call are just a pure aggro or a pure control. Most mm-hmm. of them are actually like a combination of different things. And it's called hybrid strategies, where you have a deck that takes advantage of two different uh, archetype characteristics. For example, you can have aggro control. Mm-hmm. An aggro control deck would be like a really aggressive deck with aggressive creatures that tries to deploy them quick, but it also carries tools with it to try to disrupt their opponent and try to slow them down. Um, we usually called like tempo decks. Right. Um, these decks, uh, kind of like Tempo Mage, uh, it would be probably like the most popular one out there right now. Um, just take advantage of deploying your board really early on. Mm-hmm. And then disrupting your opponent in different ways. For example, Tempo Mage can use things like Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yep. Um, to get a lot of spells out quick. And you can do like Sorcerer's Apprentice into mirror entities. And then suddenly your opponent has to get through two taunt creatures before you can get to your other creatures. Yeah. So against let's say a control warrior that is equipping a fire war axe. <laughs> this is a huge disruptive effect. Where he can get to the minions that he wants to get to, he has to get through your through your mirror entities first. Yeah, um, it's it's that idea of simultaneously playing creatures while removing your opponent's creatures as well with cheap stuff like Frostbolt. It's a really cool style of play. Yeah, it's it like has things, for example, like uh, Flame Waker. Uh, Flame mm-hmm. Waker is a great card for an aggro control deck because it allows you to control the board while simultaneously being aggressive. Um, <clears throat> an example of this is if you're playing against, let's say, a paladin or a hunter, you can play in Flame Waker and then like coin out mirror entities or coin out arcane missiles. Uh-huh. This kind of play both uh, is a tempo play because you're putting a creature on the board mm-hmm. and removing their creatures more than likely. Yeah. And on top of that, you're probably dealing some damage to the face. Yeah. So you're kind of doing the control and the aggro both at the same time with this type of creature. Totally. Uh, another type there is is control combo. And that's a little bit similar to combo in general, like we were talking about with um, patron and so on. But it's a combo deck that focuses on that idea of removing the opponent's board um, and keeping it under control while you're playing it with yeah, a quick so finisher. Control combo is a cool, cool little thing because it's a deck that plays like a control deck. Mm-hmm. And um, you can usually win the attrition war, yep. but also packs a combo in it that can draw into it and and deploy as needed. Um, 
A great example of this kind of deck is the old uh, Leroy Faceless Handlock, mm-hmm. where you played as a handlock, but you had Leroy Jenkins Faceless Manipulator um, <clears throat> in there to help you close out the game. <laughs> and the double power overwhelming. Oh, and the double power overwhelming, yeah. Yep. So you just make like a 14 attack Leroy and clone it. And then it. copy it. <laughs> yeah, and then you'll like copious amounts of damage. Um, so he's an example of that kind of deck. Yeah, just to show, like, again, how much these decks bleed into each other, um, Control Warrior could be a control combo deck if you think about how it finishes. It finishes with a Grom-Alexstrasza combo, typically. Um, so even Control Warrior kind of falls into control combo. Yeah, he has a... Although, the Alexstrasza-Grom, I don't know if I would necessarily consider that like a combo, mm-hmm. like a true combo, because right. I feel like true combos are a sequence of cards that you want to play kind of, like, together, right? Sure. Kind of like in the same turn, like a two-turn thing. It's well, like some- Freeze Mage is kind of two-turn, which is why it's weird, yeah. you know, it's Alex Straza yeah, into cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, again, it's hard. Like, yeah. you're going to yeah, be like, able to pick these apart. <laughs> you're right, you're right. The lines tend to get blurred a lot. Totally. Um, for example, um, a very common deck that I feel is like very in between is the aggressive mid-range druid. Um, yep. That deck is what you could consider an aggro combo deck, mm-hmm. where... Even like a mid-range aggro combo deck, where you're using mana ramps early on to get on the board quite fast, and you can overwhelm your opponent and just outright kill with your creatures. But you also have a combo finisher that you can draw into with your like Ancients of Lore and that sort of thing. That is the infamous Force of Nature and Savage Roar combo. As <laughs> yep. long as you can get him to 14 health, and you can finish him up with your combo. Yeah, absolutely. Um... It's it's an interesting, um, it's just basically the principle of, you know, you have aggro, you have control, and you have combo. You have the idea of being aggressive, you have the idea of controlling the board, and you have the idea of playing a specific set of decks to win quickly. And then you combine those to get different decks. Like, even mid-range is a combination of those three factors, uh, or sometimes at, at times those two factors. So, uh, the, I guess the last one would be aggro control combo. <laughs> I mean, there can be a, a million of these combinations, but yeah, yeah, just to give an example, like aggro control combo, you're going to say like, what are you talking about and in the world? What are you, you're just putting random words together. <laughs> <laughs> but like a, an example of a deck that could do this, for example, is the traditional mid-range shaman. Mm-hmm. Um, they can have aggressive starts where it can um, fill the board with like zombie chow totems and flame tongue and then have a be packing a punch or... Uh, mm-hmm. The new totem golem, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but it also has combo-like tools with hex, lightning storm, earth shock, or control this sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, control. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> where you can it can go toe to toe in the attrition war with somebody else. Yeah. And then it has combo-like finishers. Sometimes they put in like Alakir with flame tongue and rock biter for mm-hmm. like. 15 damage or more in one turn. Yep, or the um, Doom Hammer. Yeah, yep, Doom Hammer, Doom Rock Biter sort of thing. Same thing, just the using Wind Fury and Charge to deal like 18 damage in one yeah. turn. Yeah, so really... this deck has like a little bit of everything, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, it's kind of it's a kind of a jack-of-all-trades in its own right, except it's it's like a mid-range deck that throws in um, a combo, which a lot of mid-range decks don't have. It's a really powerful combo that can just finish it out in one mm-hmm. turn. It's, it's uh, yeah, just yet another style of play. So as you can see, archetypes um, are just a, a mindset. The most helpful thing they can help you do is just determine what your win condition is. Um, but as you learn more about the game and find more decks, you see that, you know, they really are just labels. And most decks 
uh, bleed between them and go beyond them. But hopefully yeah, that's just what in. they are. Labels, categories, if you will. Uh, yeah. They just help us get a sense of what we're playing against or what we're playing with. Um, mm-hmm. They're great, for example, um, once you've been playing the game for a while and somebody brings you a new deck and they tell you, hey man, check this deck out. It's a aggro deck with a combo finisher. Then you instantly can know, like, oh, okay. Then if I take this list and I play with myself, this is how I should probably be approaching um, the playstyle of the deck. Yep. Or if you're playing against another deck and you know it's a control deck, then suddenly you know what their game plan is probably going to be about. Yeah, and you can just, you know, give them advice like, oh, there's an aggro deck. Okay, uh, maybe don't include so many eight drops. Like, it, you know, it, it gives you a place to start to generally know what sort of cards to put in what sort of deck rather than just saying, okay, I have 30 cards. What the heck do I put in there? So it's like, yeah, it gives yeah. you an idea of the win conditions. Both yeah, of you but just your like colors, you know, there's black, there's white, and then there's everything in between. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So black is um, face hunter. Yeah, <laughs> white yeah. is control warrior, and you have there everything you in between. Yeah, <laughs> cool. All right, I think that this does it for uh, deck uh, archetype talk. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, let us know if there's anything you want us to cover or um, add to that, or any uh, questions. Speaking of which, we have our first listener mail segment. Woo! Um, first of all, I wanted to start off with a very quick note from Matt, and he writes. As a newish player who sucks, what is the best archetype to start building towards? And I love the show. Well, I appreciate that very much. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Luckily, that is exactly what we're going to be going into next week. Um, next week's episode um, is going to be about both uh, kind of mindsets when playing, bad mindsets to fall into, good mindsets to keep track of, um, and just kind of how to think about the game when playing it competitively, especially on ladder, which can be very frustrating and... Um, uh, stressful for a lot of people. And secondly, we're going to be focusing on, since it's the end of our three-part beginner's guide, we're going to kind of give people a launching off point of saying, okay, now that you have this knowledge, how should you tackle ladder? What's a good rank to shoot for? Um, what are good decks to try? Uh, and kind of create a little package for people to be able to go off into the, the ranked constructed world and, and do their worst or, or best, depending on how you think of it. Um, so we're going to be going over that in detail, but Andres, we can give them a couple quick answers now. Like, what do you think are good beginner decks? Based yeah, on absolutely. I would say best archetype to just outright start. I would say it's probably aggro. Um, no questions asked, um, mm-hmm. because of, of a couple of factors. Um, like we said before, Aggro decks usually tend to be on the lower end of the curve, meaning that most of the cards that go into aggro decks are cheaper, yeah. um, just by default. So these are decks that are usually easier to build when you're starting your collection and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and they're also decks that, although can get really complex uh, down the line, especially as you learn the game a little more and your opponents get a little more tough, mm-hmm. Um it's also one of the archetypes that has one of the simplest game plans. You're not trying to come up with elaborate um, puzzles and things like that while playing the game. Um, it's a very, very dedicated mindset of, I'm going to go to the face and try to kill them as quick as possible. Right. So grasping that concept is a little easier in the beginning as you learn all the cards and become more acquainted with the game. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. Um, yeah, what do you think? I think, yeah, aggro is good. Like, Face Hunter, a very easy to build, very obvious one. I wouldn't stay just playing that for too long, because while it does teach you an aspect of the game, it really doesn't give you a breadth of knowledge about uh, playing the game. Uh, but it is a good place to start. Um, 
Agro Paladin, that's pretty cheap as well, correct? I can't think of many like Agro epics. Paladin as well. Yeah, um, epics or legendaries that go into that one. Also, not to this merit aggro decks, but mid range decks can also be a good place to start. Yeah, that's what I was uh, going to say. Mid range decks tend to be um, a little more balanced. You're mm-hmm. not so much all in into these things. Mid range decks sometimes are a little more expensive to craft uh, since they use. Um, a little better minions sometimes like right. a lot of them include things like dr boom or they include things like the belcher which sometimes <laughs> require you to have the adventures and that sort of thing but yeah mid-range decks can also be really fun just because sometimes with mid-range decks you don't feel like you're so constricted by your game plan meaning mm-hmm. that sometimes you can play more of the value game you can try to trade more sometimes you get to uh, play with a little bit of combos and that sort of thing on these decks. So like mid-range druid, I would say mid-range hunter would probably be one of the best decks to uh, look into if you're starting to play the game. That's a good suggestion. The one I I probably gravitated towards was uh, Zulok because it combines a lot of the type of aggro play, which is playing yeah. creatures quickly, um, but also gets you into more of the bold, board control mindset and you know keeping control of the game. Yeah. I love the Zulok. Zulok is a great, uh, great deck to practice and uh, get your fundamentals, especially like your trading yeah. and that sort of thing down. Because yeah, it's a very board centric uh, type of deck nowadays. Mm-hmm. It has become more of that like Demon Zoo. Yeah, uh, but it's still very, very powerful. Yeah, I prefer Demon Zoo because it's a little more mid gamey, and I just find it more fun because you get to play stuff like Bane of Doom and Melganus and yeah. just play out crazy stuff. But if you want to start really budget, there are some old classic Zulok decks that are. Um, that run like Dark Iron Dwarves and are a lot more focused on, you know, basic cards and getting um, just cheap and effective creatures on the board quickly. So I'll see if I can find a um, a few deck lists for you to get started with. I think uh, Zulok, great place to start. Um, like Mid-range said, Hunter, I would also recommend. Mid-range Hunter, Aggro Paladin, and Face, Face Hunter. Hunter, if you're on a yep. budget. I think all four of those would be great. What, in case like Matt was listening and was like, Control sounds amazing. What do you think is like the best budget control deck? Like the most budget control deck you can make the most budget oriented control deck huh and just easy to learn i'd say priest priest would probably be the one of the cheapest ones just because the control deck uses a lot of the basic cards that come with the priest class priest is a control class yeah yeah uh although i don't know if it would be the easiest to learn but if 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 you're set on control then uh that would probably be the cheapest one to start if money is not a problem, go for Control Warrior. <laughs> but um, yeah. uh, I don't know. If you're just starting out the game, I would probably not recommend doing that yeah. huge of an investment on a deck like Agreed. that because you might you might be like me and yeah. you might get Control Warrior and then realize that you actually don't enjoy the playstyle uh, of Control <laughs> Warrior because it's right. too slow for you. Yeah. Uh, and just stay away from combo for now. Don't do combo decks starting out. Well, combo decks are a weird spot right now. Like, you can yeah. do Freeze Mage, which is arguably one of the hardest decks to play. Yeah. Or you can do Oil Rogue, which, which is, is another hard pretty deck. hard to play, but it, it's in a good spot. Like, both yeah. of them can do really good. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking for a challenge and want to get into combo decks, probably Oil. Yeah, I like Oil Rogue right now. That's a, that's a good place to start. So, yeah, we'll be going more in depth about that next week, but hopefully that helped you out a little. Matt gave you a preview for that. Um. Our second email comes from Jamie. It's the one we referenced earlier talking about the patron nerf. So I took an excerpt from his email, which I'll read here real quick. And Jamie writes, Hi guys, just listen to the latest episode you guys put out. I'm not sure I like it in its current state. To explain, I'm one of those news junkies and development nerds that really love conversation and really enjoy it when naturally a long talk is had about a converse subject. 
The expectation I was really hoping for was that the recent breaking news about Warsong was definitely worth talking about and discussing what developments could come of this and what you should know about going into the unknown world. I know that seems more like the old format, but I definitely feel there was a good long discussion in there about what cards will be usable, what you can do to counter that stuff, what will become powerful, etc. Um, that likely to address at the top of the show, <clears throat> very good feedback. We're not going to be doing beginner's guides forever. In fact, we just have one more episode of that. Um, but it unfortunately came at the time that was right when the patron nerf hit, which yes, would have made a fantastic episode to yeah. really delve in deep on that. So <laughs> to be honest, the patron nerf came in kind of unexpectedly, right? Oh like, yeah. They just, just came out of nowhere. Like, all right, out. we're nerfing it. Uh, so yeah, the patron nerf, let's just give it a few minutes here. Like Andres, what did you think of it? All right, let's talk about the patron nerd. Let's address the <laughs> elephant in the room. It's Everyone like every podcast is literally obligated to talk about the, the patron nerf. Um, pretty much, pretty much. I um, think it is a buff to bloodless shaman. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, you know, you, you it don't probably know. It is. Be. You know, you could, can play yeah, more haunted it, creepers it probably now. Is, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely not bad for the shaman archetype. That's true. We're not archetype, but class. All right, so I want to start here. We've been talking a lot, you know, very um. Very, what would you say, uh, high-mindedly and very objectively about the game. Do you like that they nerfed it? Like, just subjectively, do you think that was a good decision? I liked Patron Warrior. I'm just going to put that out there. I Uh liked Patron Warrior. I was a fan of the deck. Uh, I preferred it over Control Warrior. Mm -hmm. I think it was a challenging deck to play. I didn't encounter it that much on the ladder. You know, I found every, like, one out of ten games or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. although in the higher end it would arguably be more predominant having said that though I feel like it was necessary for the game Yeah, I think that uh, for this game to continue moving forward this had to be done because the, the patron nerf or more likely the worse and commander nerf yeah. um, was not just a nerf it was an outright this card is never going to be played again Right. Basically, Warson Commander is worse than Ray Leader now. It costs the same mana, yeah. you get one more health, but the effect only affects charge minions, yeah, which are just worse. a very selected few. And they're not that good by themselves, you know what I mean? Exactly. You don't want to be playing a deck of, full of charge minions, basically. Mm-hmm. I totally uh, agree. I mean, they, they removed the card from competitive play which this is, is basically fine. what they did to starving buzzard back in the day. Um, <laughs> they tend I, to do this i i feel like the reason when they do this um when they finally do decide to nerf a card because mm-hmm. they're not fan of nerfing cards they, no. they prefer it took a long time it. yeah as long as they as they can avoid it they are but when they do it they have destroyed this card same with starving buzzard they made it into an unplayable three two mm-hmm. that nobody plays anymore because it's just not very good and the reason they do this is because they're cards that warp the meta a little bit too much and not only currently but in the future as well there are cards that really hinder design philosophy or design in general for this game um having cards like worsen commander was probably causing a lot of in-house problems with uh new sets or new cards that they wanted to put out because mm-hmm. now they have to keep in mind okay we have Warson commander that has this effect on warriors so any card that has three or less attack <laughs> can become quite a problem uh down it's the why line. they didn't give dreadsteed as a neutral card uh going back to 
um, some stuff that Ben Brode said, like Dread Steed was going to be a neutral card, and they're like, oh, wait, Warsong, no. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That is a perfect example of uh, what can happen. So I mm-hmm. think they just wanted to eliminate the problem from the root and be like, you know, guys, let's just not worry about this down the line. Let's just take it out of the picture, yeah. and we can keep designing and iterating the game yeah. in a lot of different new ways that Warsong Commander was not allowing us to do. So first of all, I would say everyone check out Ben Brode put out a video um, explaining it. So if you want to hear like why they did it, you don't need our speculation. They've, they've said and they have the reasoning. You can agree with it or you can disagree with it. But I'm, I'm glad that Blizzard addressed that pretty soon after they released the nerf. Um, my personal thoughts about nerfs in general. Um, I read an article. I don't know if you saw it on Liquid Hearth that Tiddler Celestial wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just very, very angry about the nerf in general. Um, very much didn't like it. There, of course, is some language barrier, so he might have not made his point as artfully as he intended to. But it kind of came off to me as a, a rant that I've, I've kind of seen as a sentiment in other places as well. Just talking about how much Blizzard is ruining the game and how it kind of came across as Blizzard doesn't have a right to mess with stuff that the community comes up with. Um, because the community comes up with interesting decks and then they ruin it. Um, and my thought of that is we've talked a lot about cycling, um, you know, taking cards out of rotation over time like Magic does. Um, if Blizzard does not institute that and they currently don't have that type of thing, they have no control over their game if they can't nerf it. Um, if they were pulling decks out or sorry, pulling cards out of cycle like routinely, like, you know, do expansions from now. Uh, we're literally taking Grim Patron out of competitive play, so it's no longer going to be a thing. Or, you know, take Warsong out of competitive play, so it's no longer going to be a thing. I'd be like, yeah, maybe don't change the cards after the fact then. But because cards are around to stay literally forever in every format, they have to be able to change them because you can't expect them to know every possible permutation that's going to happen to every card. Like, it's just not allowing them enough development control. It's pretty Um, much impossible to account for all possibilities in a game like this. I'm sure they have a dedicated team of very capable people, but even all the in-house testing is not going to be enough to predict all the possibilities that could happen, right? Right. Um, You can't account for how these cards are going to play out or not, and they... They have to try out new things, right? They have to try to push the boundaries to keep the to keep the game being interesting, right? If they come up with a new expansion and none of the cards in that expansion are powerful or interesting enough for people to want to add them to the existing decks, then it would be a huge bummer for the entire community. Right. Um, in order to keep doing this, though, sometimes you create cards that do a little better than you expect them to. And there's no way that you could have predicted it. Mm-hmm. Um, because of this, I think nerfing, although it should be kept to a minimum, is absolutely necessary sometimes. And mm-hmm. just like Patron Warrior came into being, down the line, some crazy other decks can come into being. But for that to happen, maybe maybe Patron had to die. Yep, I agree with that. Um, it... It was limiting the game in two ways. Like you said, one way was the giving things charge all the time. The second way, or, or future card charge. And the second way was um, pr- promoting an OTK style of play, which they've traditionally been very quick to stop because it's not the fun mm-hmm. part of Hearthstone. It's kind of abusing the charge mechanic. Um, an interesting question that I, I like that people bring up is, was there a way for them to edit the deck without, you know, 
doing this drastic? Like, do you think the level of nerf they did, rather than just the concept of the nerf in general, was good? I think they went really drastic this time because mm -hmm. they've tried the half measure approach before, and <laughs> we've all seen how that worked out. Unleash the hounds, unleash the hounds, unleash the hounds. Yeah. They nerfed the card, what, like four times? Three yeah, times? I think three or four, yep. So, yeah, rather than like having to go back and forth with these cards, they just read, you know, do it from the get go now and be like, okay, just, just not gonna worry about this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, another interesting thing that they did it was when they did it, they did it, what, a month before mm -hmm. the world championship? Yeah, that, that was crazy to me that they're gonna make all the pros find new strategies for the actual I think that world was very much intended. I, yeah. I don't think that was, that was very deliberate, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and I think, I think they did that is because in the past couple of big tournaments, we've seen like everybody brings patron warrior or at mm -hmm. least counter to patron warrior. Yeah. So it's a deck that is very expected. And I feel like, you know, in one way or another, it makes it less interesting for the viewers because yeah. the viewers kind of already know what's going to happen They They know like. Oh, they're gonna bring patron, and these guys gonna be bring an anti-patron kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the coolest things in Hearthstone is when you're watching a competitive match, and the guy pulls out a crazy deck or like a crazy tech that you haven't seen before, mm -hmm. and gets a win because of it. Like, um, I remember one of my favorite tournament experiences was when I was watching the ESL match uh -huh. between Brian Kibler and Dark Onyx. Mm -hmm. And Dark One just pulls out the craziest Warlock combo deck uh, <laughs> with like Baron Geddon and a bunch of like other crazy stuff. Wait, Baron Geddon and Warlock? Yeah, yeah Baron Geddon and he had like. Wait a minute, that's a warrior card. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And In no, Warlock? A, it's a, no, it's a neutral card. Wait, Baron Geddon's neutral? Oh, yeah. you're right. I totally it only forgot. Gets played in Warrior. I literally thought he was a Warrior card. Oh, no, no, he's neutral. I'm like, you must have meant Warrior. That's hilarious. No, 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 okay, no. so Baron Geddon. Yeah, Baron Geddon. <laughs> And he played like, um, oh, what's the eight cost card that gets rid of everything? It gets, oh, Twisting Nether. Twisting Nether, yeah. Jeez. He played like some crazy things and it caught Brian Kibler completely by surprise. And he ended up <laughs> taking this win. And it was amazing. It was, it was cool. It was awesome yeah. watching that. And I feel like in order to have those moments again, mm -hmm. we can have decks that are just so strong that it's not worth bringing anything else. Because you have to, like, you can't play Baron Geddon because he deals two damage to everything. Like, yeah, it just, it's like, a perfect limits. example. Baron Geddon thrown out the window because of uh, Patron. Yeah, that's a good point. I think Patron was getting too defining. And then, again, I just stand by the fact that, you know, Blizzard, uh, let them work with, have some creative control over their game. If they can't cycle their cards out and these cards are around forever, I think they need to be able to have some amount yeah. of... Uh, Having said that, I, I can... I can definitely relate to those oh, yeah. players that are upset about it because mm -hmm. whether or not Warzone Commander was warping the game a little too much, um, Patron arguably was the hardest deck to play in this game yeah. next to like Freeze Mage or something like that. Mm -hmm. It required a lot of planning and thought and it really, really rewarded the players that were really good at the game. Um, I agree. Yeah, that that is the one aspect I am very sad to see go, even as someone who didn't play a lot of Patron. Um, I hope that we'll have that again in the future, and I think we will. But it is in the short term sad to see that that gone, because I totally get why that was yeah. healthy for the game. We'll see how things evolve now. Um, some of the decks that the Patron was bringing down are definitely going to be 
more predominant like face hunter is mm-hmm. definitely coming back i have already seen a million of them in the latter so so yeah um i'm terrible at predicting meta but i'm curious your thoughts like what do you think uh is is the fallout of the patron because that's like the big talk everywhere is like what's going to be the key it's a power vacuum principle so like yeah, yeah what will the much. power vacuum lead to yeah um if I if I just have to do some like quick predictions and stuff because yeah. it's too hard, I don't think the meta is gonna change that wildly. Although you never uh-huh. know, you never know. Yeah, something crazy might happen. Um, but I don't I don't think the meta is that unstable now. You know, uh-huh. Patron was there, but it I don't think it was causing that much of of trouble outside from tournament play. Yeah. Um, but having said that, I think Face Hunter really is definitely gonna make a resurgence on the ladder. Um, Secret Paladin seems really strong right now because one of the matchups he'd struggle against was Patron Warrior, but that is out of the way, and the rest of his matchups are actually quite good. Um, so you could see Secret Paladin being a really big thing, continue being one of the top decks for a while now. And yeah. Handlock might see a slight decrease. Just because Handlock was uh, so popular because patrons were around. And now that Face Hunter is coming up, um, <laughs> Handlock's kind of hate Face Hunters. <laughs> so mm, that would be kind of like my prediction. Handlock yeah. goes down a little bit. Uh, Secret Paladin gets a little stronger. Face Hunter makes a resurgence. Yeah. As always, I'm rooting for a mid range Paladin, Control Warrior, and mid range uh, Zoo, just because those are my three favorite decks. So we'll see how those fare. <laughs> I can see Paladin getting back. Uh, especially with Murloc, uh, Zoo might like, be might not be a bad choice now. Since yeah. well, like a like a quick Zoo because yeah. Face Hunter can also get rid of Zoo. But now that That's Patron's gone, it, it might be uh, quite good too. Yeah. All right. Um, last question comes in from me, which I just thought of, uh, <laughs> which is <laughs> uh, we talked about all the archetypes before. Which one do you think Secret Paladin fits into? Secret Paladin. Is that? I, I would say of, um, hmm. Secret Paladin is. The the state that it is in right now, it's probably a mid-range. Yeah, I, I agree with you because like it has we were talking earlier about how mid-range, once you get into it at turn six, you're playing six, seven, eight, and that's like the staple of Secret Paladin. Mm-hmm. It plays Mysterious Challenger, Doctor Boom, Tyrion, and then that's how it curves out. And then early on it's establishing board control it's with a, stuff like it's mini, a, shielded bot. Yeah. Mid range deck. Um yep. with huge tempo swings basically <laughs> mysterious challenger is that it's a an incredible tempo swing yeah. over on your side um and it's mid-range in the sense that at the beginning of the game you're trying to establish your presence on the board mm-hmm. um by really strong minions like shielded mini bot a bunch of like divine shields cog hammer mm-hmm. that sort of thing um into very very strong mid game and you're just trying to set up for that turn 6 mysterious challenger yep if you can play mysterious challenger while you have a board yeah. um, <laughs> usually the tempo the tempo gain is usually enough to win you the game from that point on even if your opponent can read every secret uh right mm-hmm. and can respond to them accordingly usually they've spent too many resources and too much time just trying to get rid of that yeah. To the point where you're too far ahead and you can close out the game at that point. So it's like a tempo mid-range deck. Yep, I agree. All right, that'll do it for listener mail. Listen, meh. Listener mail then, <laughs> which is hard to say. I'm going to have to think about that for future episodes. Um, we also got some iTunes reviews. Uh, I finally checked the Canadian iTunes store. I never thought they'd do that until yesterday. 
Um, oh, do we have any reviews in it? We do. We have oh, nice. two, and we know them both. Um, Anthony from uh, the Game Nights, we've, nice. we've seen him there a lot. He says, balances hardcore with casual and gave us five stars. I appreciate that. He says, an <laughs> awesome podcast that's a treat to listen to for more casual players. Two smorks way, way up. So <laughs> thank you for that, Anthony. Thanks, and Anthony. then we also got one from Eve, fellow Hearthstone podcaster. Check out her uh, new Hearthstone podcast, Villains Chosen, where they focus very much on budget uh budget game uh decks and the the recent meta and how to kind of climb ladder mm-hmm. especially from like ranks 20 to 5 um and she wrote love the change five stars i listened to the latest episode and was so inspired excellent for new players very concise easy to understand yet in-depth and thought-provoking at the same time keep up the good work i can't wait for the next episode and she was talking that was our first part of the beginner's guide so i really appreciated that oh, feedback. awesome eve thanks so much uh and let's see here i think we also got we got a few more also from the uh us itunes store i actually had to go back a bit for these because i we didn't cover reviews last week but we got one from dragon rider dk who is also like all over twitter and other um hearthstone podcasts she recently did a um guested on an episode of i think it was top deck kings i think i have that name right um which is a fellow i'm actually looking at now to make sure a fellow hearthstone podcast that did an episode about all other hearthstone podcasts which was really cool oh really uh I yeah check so, that out. so they covered ours along with everyone else's uh, and that was <laughs> nice and she guessed it on that one so nice. that was a really cool way to kind of bring everyone together she let this review i'm sad it's over five stars each episode gives me so much to think about i just don't want it to end been a listener since the beginning and has continuously gotten better that was awesome Fantastic. Um, and we got two more. One from Peaks Binge Watcher, who says, love the podcast, five stars. And another from Dire Bear, who says, great podcast, five stars. So thank you, everyone, for those reviews. Uh, if you um, have access to iTunes and like the show, definitely keep them coming and uh, let us know what you think of the uh, the new format. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We are welcoming all feedback right now, trying out this new format. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you guys want us to cover anything else that we haven't covered so far i mean we're just starting with this guide but basically want to go in depth into all these strategy topics mm-hmm. uh, right now we're just covering the basics but um once we start getting into more advanced stuff please let us know uh what you guys would like to hear about we can talk about specific decks we can talk about the latter um hopefully we'll be covering tournament play and maybe arena play later yeah. on um we're preparing some stuff for that so yeah totally. yeah the doors keep, are going to be coming the doors are going to be wide open after uh these next couple episodes so yeah send start sending in ideas for episodes now because we're going to start using them uh speaking of which if you want to email us stuff email us at hearthaholics at gmail.com uh we're on twitter youtube facebook as hearthaholics and we are a member of the whales are whales network so check out whales are whales that's whales a-r-e whales.com for more other awesome podcasts like this with other awesome people like us uh and finally um we do a game night uh or actually game nights now for the angry chicken fellow hearthstone podcast uh you can find their subreddit at slash tac podcast and there we have actually sticky posts now both for monday game night which andres runs a more competitive focused game night at uh 6 30 p.m central daily time every monday and that is a uh, you guys are currently still doing that ATLC format, right? Where you yeah, do the yeah. team league. Wow, well, we're still doing it like that. Um, I don't know. I think we're gonna keep that for now. It's just working really well yeah. and it's really fun. Divide into two different teams, and you get to participate in your team, and it gets competitive. It's really fun. 
Yeah, it's like real tournament practice. Unlike the Wednesday game nights where um, we do tavern brawl pretty much the entire time. Uh, I run those. It's at 8 p.m. Central Daily Time every Wednesday. And man, was this last tavern brawl amazing. One of the best we've had in a very long time. Oh, yeah. This tavern brawl was really fun. The, the boss hero powers. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I picked Druid. And I had yes, a bunch of like, ramp yes. spells. Oh, it's amazing. God. Druid is yeah. amazing. If you can Astral Communion. I think there was start- one turn, which I just hero powered four times in a row. Yes. And it was enough to like be a really good turn. My new my new strategy for that is playing that priest card where every time you play your hero power, it deals four damage to both players and just try to aggro Oh, that's awesome. Nice. Ridiculous amounts of damage. So anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, that'll be it. You can find that on the TAC subreddit. And um, it's the Angry Chicken. And let's see here. That's it. You can find me on Twitter at Lord Meldor. Oh, my gosh. My dogs are barking. One sec. No, no. So close. All right. You can find me at Lord Meldor. At, that's L-O-R-D-M-E-L-D-O-R-R. And you can find Andres on Twitter at iPlayGames. That's I-P-L-A-I Games. Uh, our intro music, or yes, intro and outro music, is done by Andres and his studio, MassEveMusic.com. So check out M-A-S-S-E-V-E. Or it, wait, the URL. I need to make sure I have that correct. What's the URL for that? Yes, it is MassEveMusic. Uh, yeah. EVEmusic.com, and you can find uh, all the stuff he makes. He makes a bunch of uh, music for like YouTube and Twitch and uh, any anything you want to license cool like sci-fi cinematic uh, music for. He's got you covered. So really awesome. Absolutely. Come check it out. Yep. And that'll be it. Thank you, everyone. We will talk to you next week. Let's the hunt begin.